Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, Episode 73. I believe that you are serving people as a strength and conditioning coach, trying to improve their lives, trying to uh, contribute to their lives where they're successful uh, throughout the course of their lives because of the experience they have with you. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. This is Scott Caulfield here in Washington, D.C., 2019 National Conference. Today, my guest, who I've been trying to get on this for a couple years now, we've been missing each other, so we finally caught up. Jeff Connors, retired collegiate coach and currently at Vident Wellness in Greenville, North Carolina. We'll let him talk about that. Coach, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. Great to yeah, be here. excited we finally got this thing nailed down, man. I know we've been <laughs> talking about it for a couple Absolutely. years, so it's all right. I'm, I'm uh, getting better at this interview and stuff, so I think uh, it's probably better that I got you now than before. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sounds and you're good. speaking at this thing, too. We got you speaking, so um, right. maybe talk, uh, tell us what you're going to talk about today. Well, basically what I'm going to talk about is uh, I think it's entitled uh, um, Training Athletes That Sprint, Jump, and Change Direction. So, you know, really not talking about swimmers or golfers or, uh, or even offensive linemen. Uh, we're talking about uh, what I've had a passion for for many, many years, and that's speed and movement. And, uh, you know, strength training in relationship to that, targeting the, uh, the muscle groups that overcome inertia and those types of good things. And uh, so I'm going to be talking about uh, really – two sides of a continuum, building the engine and then uh, transitioning into uh, a more explosive type of regime whereby uh, you're trying to move the neuromuscular system, advance the neuromuscular system, you know, as far as you can with that type of training once you've built that good uh, engine, uh, strengthening those muscle groups that are required to do that. So. Uh, that's the gist of what I'm going to be talking about, moving from a, you know, a four-day program. Use a lot of four-day programs over the years, but I've transitioned into a three-day program. What I'm talking about is a 12-week program, which I think is – I'm so happy that I can get back to that now, 12- and 16-week programs, you know, having to fit everything into with all the NCA. Uh, uh, I guess you could say restrictions, uh, you know, six to eight week training cycles and part of that being voluntary. And uh, I'm happy to train athletes now with a 12 week program, which I really believe in because I think you need uh, uh, three, four week rotations. And that's and then moving more toward a three day program with uh, uh, light work in between on Tuesday, Thursday, moderate lactate production and stimulating human growth hormone with that type of approach and hitting it hard on those three days and really having uh, max effort speed days on the three primary days and possibly a little tempo running on the other two days. But uh, that's what I'm transitioning into. I'm going to talk about how I've, I've used track uh, coaches, sprint and jump coaches over the year as mentors uh, over the years and uh, the reasons for that. And, uh, and really, I think that's helped me sustain a job since 1988 yeah. and uh, really significantly improve movement and linear speed. And I, I feel really good about uh, those types of things. Uh, but 
not only that, but um, you know the strength training that accompanies that specifically with football over the years, I think I've had some pretty good success with. Yeah, and you made a good, uh, you know, reference in 1988. We were just talking, you know, and into the end of this month, you collected a steady paycheck as a collegiate strength and conditioning <laughs> coach from 1988 to 2019. So listeners can well, do the math on that. But, yeah, why don't you tell us about, because obviously in all this programming stuff, you know, has been, crafted and perfected over right. these decades um, but yeah give us a little bit of background i know also you have an interesting path into the strength and conditioning field so yeah maybe mm-hmm. talk about first how you even first got interested in it and, and realized it could be a career path uh so then after after a certain period of time in uh, police work i had an opportunity to go to uh, uh back to tennessee and actually uh coach football and run a Nautilus training facility um, and also uh, get involved in powerlifting in the state of Tennessee. So uh, um, straight into police work, um, back to Tennessee, uh, where I had met, long story here, but I met my first wife on the beach in Daytona one spring break, and that's what that's what brought me to the state of Tennessee. <laughs> nice. So basically... Uh, um, entered a few powerlifting meets there and coached football and I uh, got to know Doc Crease a little bit because I went out there and got in a couple meets in, at Vandy and uh, got to know some of the powerlifters across the state of Tennessee and uh, so that was an interesting experience and gave me a lot of uh, practical experience in relationship to how to continue to develop strength and uh and also, of course, being involved with Nautilus and a Nautilus training facility. You know, we look at all this research now and what we're going back to with eccentric isometric training. This, this goes back a long, long way. Uh, you know, with the Nautilus training with negative accentuated, negative, negative only. Uh, every Saturday, I had a couple training partners. We went in there and tried to... Uh, you know, uh, murder each other with eccentric training. And, and so, th- you know, that goes back a long way. And then you to look at the research now with, uh, you know, improving the length of sarcomeres in series and the fascicle length. And then that in turn also helping with uh, increasing concentric power. Uh, uh, but again, you know, I think we've known about this for a while. Right. And so uh, things kind of run in cycles, but you don't even see... I can't even find an old piece of Nautilus anywhere. It's yeah. like an antique. They are. They're in uh, museums. <laughs> yeah. So, uh... If you find one, it's like a gold. You're like, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I remember this one. Pull over. Yeah. Right, and the yeah, supersets yeah. and yeah. so forth. But, you know, and then, of course, uh, the whole objective was to try to make people puke. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you go back to all the, uh, the hit guys back in that era, um, you know, Ken Manny and those guys and... You know, all the debates that were going on with free weights and machines, that, um, it's, it's really been a kind of an interesting evolution in our profession. Yeah, no, and, and that, you know, being in the trenches that long, you know, you've definitely seen it all. And it is funny because I was just at the Stark Museum there in uh, mm-hmm. Austin a couple of weeks ago, and, you know, they've got 
uh, implements and books and magazines from 1800s right. to early 1900s, and they're talking about all the same stuff that we're talking right. about. They were talking about fasting. They were talking about getting enough sleep. They were talking mm-hmm. about high intensity training on all of this stuff that you know some people would make it seem like this is the first time we've ever seen it or heard right. about it which is pretty funny too well you know one i met walt evans who was training the steelers he was Steelers strength coach uh, many years ago and walt and i became friends and and uh, he asked me if i wanted to go out to york barbell when they were making some type of transition we went up in the attic and collected a whole bunch of memorabilia and uh so basically, I've, I actually have, I think, one set of uh, strength and health magazines from maybe 1942 that haven't even been opened yet. Mm. And, uh, you know, when I go back and read some of the, you know, I have, I probably got another uh, 30 magazines from different years. But you go back and read that stuff. and you know, It's kind of amazing because things come full circle. They really do. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, kind of speaking about full circle to you, you spent uh, close to two decades at East Carolina as a strength mm-hmm. coach in a, in a split shift, basically. Right. Uh, and I don't, you know, I don't know that that happens that often, where someone ends mm-hmm. up going back to that school. Sure, it does sometimes. But, yeah, maybe talk about, you know, those, those years there and going to UNC and coming back to right. ACU. Well, I've had very uh, – I've been very fortunate throughout my career um, – you know, I was at Bucknell, had the opportunity to go to East Carolina through a good uh, friend of mine. I made a connection with Ronnie Jones, who was a strength coach with the Eagles then. Good friends with Steve Logan at East Carolina, who was the offensive coordinator there under Bill Lewis. Honestly, I had not even heard of East Carolina University before, and I had it mixed up w- with Western Carolina because they had the same colors. And when I was at TMI Academy, we played Western. And so... Uh, uh, had an opportunity to interview for that job, uh, accepted the position after three years at Bucknell, um, studying various types of things at Bucknell. I was even going to get my high school principal certificate um, because education's always been very important to me and something I've always been interested in. And uh, so I, I took the job at ECU under uh, Bill Lewis. We were 11-1 and the first year, won the Peach Bowl, beat NC State. It was a great year. Um, you know, great time to come to East Carolina. And then uh, I stayed with Steve Logan. And Steve became the all-time winningest coach there uh, during the time that we were there. Uh, I think he stayed one or two more years after I left and went to Carolina. Uh, Steve, of course, was uh, fired. Uh, you know, you're the all-time winningest coach, but then you get fired because you have a couple bad years, which is the way this profession rolls. So, it was good timing for me to go to Carolina uh, with John Bunning. Uh, after six years, he was relieved of his duties. Um, so another transition, Butch Davis came in. I had interviewed with Butch Davis at Miami. He did offer me that job when I was at East Carolina. But, uh, you know, a couple reasons I didn't go. And then when Butch came in, I didn't think he'd retain me because I had turned down a previous job that he had offered me. <laughs> Uh, Chuck Pagano came with him. I knew Chuck uh, for a long time, and uh, I think Chuck convinced him to keep me. I was going to go to uh, BC with uh, Jeff Jagosinski, uh, but Butch offered me, you know, the job to stay at, Car- at Carolina. So uh, that was a great experience with him. You know, uh, uh, Butch is an amazing coach, and uh, you know, but. 
the way things went is uh, there were some issues there, and uh, I went ahead and left and went to East Carolina, and then the next year they fired Butch, and so another great move for me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, um, when I came to East Carolina, we had an agreement that uh, you know, I, did not, I did not want to be directly connected to the football coach if that was at all possible and I wanted to just run my department and be evaluated based upon that and I think that was the key that was uh, um, the situation with the first AD that AD left after a couple years another AD came in we had another transition where they you know they fired Ruffin McNeil and Scotty Montgomery came in and Scotty did not have very much success the last three years and uh so it was really kind of time for me. I felt to, uh, you know, it came in with another transition, but I really felt also that it was, it was kind of time for me to make a move uh, after 31 years. And uh, the last six months has been great, um, kind of like a sabbatical because I was owed about 3,400 hours of sick leave and vacation time as well. And so uh, I've, you know, I've gotten about eight or 10 hours sleep trained twice a day, uh, uh, worked on my personal health and well-being for a change and my relationship with my wife. And so it's been great. So I've work, been working on my golf game, and then I just got hired with Vidant Wellness uh, in a part-time role about two miles from my house where I can go there and help them to develop and build their performance program within everything they do with the hospital. Uh, absolutely great facility. Um, and uh, also uh, a great facility there for speed development as well and uh, movement training. So that's right up my alley. So I'm, I'm really enjoying that. So it's really been a great career. Um, I've had a few accolades over the years that I'm very proud of. And uh, some of those came in recent years. So I just really feel like I've been fortunate. And... Uh, I'm thankful for strength and conditioning profession. Uh, I have not been happy over the years when I've seen a lot of my great colleagues lose their positions and not being able to get back into the profession. It's interesting to me what uh, has occurred at Kansas now. Um, you know, that may not help the income of some strength and conditioning coaches, but I think it's going to help the stability in our profession. And uh, I don't think it's ever been fair for a new football coach to come in and fire somebody just because he wants his guy. Right. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what you've accomplished as an individual in your profession. You got to go out and try to find another job. So yeah. uh, I don't think that's ever been fair. I don't think it's ever been right, but it's been part of the profession. But then when you look and see the type of money that uh, some people are making in our profession because they have been connected to a winner. Hey, uh, I give them all the credit in the world and, and God bless them for making that money. But, right. uh, and I've been very happy and very fortunate financially, you know, myself over the years, particularly with the longevity of, you know, continuing to always collect a paycheck over 31 years. So, uh, so it's been great, and I'm very thankful for it, and also a lot of the friendships that I've made in the profession and, uh, and also specifically with the National Strength and Conditioning Association. I've you know, started with uh, guys that go back a long ways, like Doug Lentz that I met many, many years ago, Bill Kramer, Andy Fry, those guys. 
Um, and then, you know, when you went to, to conferences back then, of course, Chuck Stiggins was one of those guys as well. Yep. Uh, Garhammer and, you know, that whole group of people that yeah. you saw at every conference who gave yeah. all the presentations. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, and one thing, too, that sticks out, you know, if, if people weren't doing the math when you were talking about that uh, couple decades at ECU and UNC, uh, you've been through seven different head coaches. Right. <laughs> And, and so here's the key takeaway for me. You, you survived, basically, quote, air quotes, the seven coaching changes. You know, what, what do you think was the, the keys to your success or, you know, reasons that you were retained when f football coaches weren't? Well, one thing is I never have thought that I was good enough. Um, I've been very demanding of myself, never thinking I ever had enough knowledge. Um, and I've been always trying to learn and I've always tried to attach myself or fly across the country and find people smarter than me, which is not real hard to do. And so, uh, you know, that's how I endeavored to become smarter is by associating myself with the best. And uh, fortunately, the university would send me wherever I wanted to go. You know, I visited probably five or six NFL coaches, uh, uh, Anybody involved with speed at a high level, I tried to spend time with uh, over the years. So I tried to learn year to year. I tried to develop a good reputation to where I would be retained. I tried to outwork people. Um, I think there's something to be said for um, a work ethic. And I think that somehow you get blessed if you put the time in. And uh, I never was a guy that was on the phone trying to make contacts though. I mean, I don't really know that many people. Right. Um, some people, that's the way they've progressed their careers and I give them credit for developing those relationships, but I've never been real good at that and I've just kind of been trying to focus on what I'm doing wherever I'm at. And uh, so I don't think that I've had longevity because of relationships. And to be honest with you, I've never been real concerned with trying to please the football coach over what I believed. Uh, I was always flexible and I always listened, but I always considered myself to be the professional. And so I would try to educate football coaches. Steve Logan was great for me and uh, we had a, a great relationship and I had a unique responsibility with the time that I was with him is at some point he had me give the Friday night raw, raw talk. Nice. He was not, he was not a guy who was extremely emotional. He did not believe in emotion. He believed in execution and he believed in, you know, he's an offensive coach, a quarterback coach. So I get that at the same time, you know, I played defense in college and I believed in emotion because I, you know, I believe, hey, if you're going to hit somebody in the mouth, you know, you got to be ready to do that, yeah. you know, mentally and physically. Right, right. And so uh, that was kind of my mentality. So I, I don't know. One one day I talked, I got fired up and I talked to the team about respect. And of course, at East Carolina, we had to be overachievers because yeah. we didn't get respect. And so a couple players said something to Steve. And so I fell into that responsibility. So I brought, I brought a lot of military people in, you know, after I, I ran out of things to talk about, I started bringing people in and, uh, you know, guys like I brought Pat Dye in, I brought, uh, you know, uh, drill sergeants in, uh, 
I mean, we did some crazy. So I had two guys fight in the locker room one time, uh, two martial arts guys. They fought three rounds before the game in front of the team, which the head coach didn't even know I was going to arrange that. So he didn't know what was going to happen next. We are playing Cincinnati. Mickey Marotti was at Cincinnati then, I think. And uh, the game was played in the mud, and we won the game. And, and uh, so that was uh, a good memory. But uh, – uh, you know, I brought a little guy in who was, uh, you know, I don't know what he was, an eighth grade, degree black belt or something. He's probably five foot five. First thing he did was jump up and kick the ceiling. So that got their attention one time. And, oh. and that was a great presentation for the team. But anything, and it got to be to where, you know, the team looked forward to, to something, you know. Yeah. Um, so that was an interesting responsibility. Yeah, no, they knew. They knew something. Uh, you were going to pull <laughs> something out of the hat, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of work yeah, to figure yeah. it out every week. Well, you mentioned the <clears throat> continuous, uh, you know, searching for knowledge, getting better, visiting people, which is such a ki- critical factor yeah. to find other people who who are willing to share info. And, and you're, you're giving back in, a, in so many ways, too. You know, you ran clinics at, at wherever you were every year. But you've also, you know, written two entire books yourself, and you're, you've been involved with a number of other books, uh, most recently that Golden Age of Strength and Conditioning that was recently published. But maybe talk about, um, yeah, what inspired you to write, you know, the first book that you have, a strength strength coach a call to serve and then the, the latest one the collegiate battlefield you know how, what where did you find time come up with the idea to write a book you know how hard was it i guess because i think talk to a lot of people who and you know who do write strength mm-hmm. coaches who write and and um it's not an easy process right, right? you know this is something that it, it, some of us it might come a little more innately but for the most of us it's a right it's a skill that we have to develop well, in college, I was never good in math. Uh, I was more, uh, I excelled more in, you know, uh, I guess what you could say is, you know, some of the things where you had more time to sit in thought and then uh, put things on paper. And so uh, that's something I've always enjoyed doing. Um, I, I made a goal of trying to write about eight to 10 pages a night when I got home every night. And sometimes I, I got it done, sometimes I didn't. Sometimes I would get stuck and know not to what, write, what to write about next. But it flowed pretty well in the first book because I had a lot of things to say. And the only thing I was really trying to do with the first book is trying to uh, give my family a record of my career and some of my thoughts over time because I had to spend so much time away from them. And, uh, and that's a long story, too. But... Uh, um, it's strength coaches a call to serve is just what it says I believe that you are serving people as a strength and conditioning coach trying to improve their lives trying to uh, contribute to their lives where they're successful uh, throughout the course of their lives because of the experience they have with you and that and their collegiate experience and in my experience I've probably worked with I would say at least 60% of fatherless individuals who come to the collegiate level and uh so I think that's significant as well. Um, but uh, I talked in there about my dad. You know, my dad was my coach growing up, and uh, 
was a fierce competitor athletically. I talked about where I came from uh, in Pennsylvania. My two grandfathers uh, put a total of 100 years in the coal mine, wow. uh, 155 years, 145 years. They both started at age 12. So just going back to the blue-collar work ethic in western Pennsylvania and also the influence of football in western Pennsylvania uh, where it's – uh, football is, is so strong there, and uh, so many great players have come from that area over the years. Uh, so I talked a lot about that. I, I really didn't expect to sell a whole lot of books, and I was very surprised because, you know, it, it sold pretty well yeah. uh, on Amazon, yeah. and uh, a lot of people enjoyed it, and so I, I felt pretty good about that. I put some nuts and bolts in there, and, of course, a lot of opinion. And... Uh, and then what I wanted to do, because I've, I feel so strongly about the core values and military leadership principles, and I would bring in Marines from Camp Lejeune to talk to our freshmen at ECU uh, because uh, the location, uh, you know, they could get there in about an hour and 20 minutes. And so once a week on Friday morning, I'd have uh, someone who was in the military come in and speak about leadership principles to our freshmen who were the ones that were red shirting, you know, and training more. Uh, we'd have an early morning workout and then they would talk to them. And then I decided to write a book and call it Collegiate Battlefield, whereby uh, I talked about how these leadership principles apply specifically to collegiate football and uh, how I feel in my experience that those things have tremendous value and have universal application. And when you look at one of the most successful organizations in the history of mankind, uh, uh, the U.S. Marine Corps, uh, you know, you got to believe that those things go a long way, uh, not only, you know, with, with, with Marines, but also with anybody who would like to, uh, you know, adopt those leadership principles and what they're trying to accomplish. So that's basically the gist of the book. It's basically talking about uh, um, the power of the human spirit, uh, what military people refer to as the chief incalculable. In uh, 2014, I was selected to, to go and be part of the uh, Marine Corps Executive Leadership um, Conference here in D.C. at the Pentagon. Uh, we also went out to Quantico, and that was a great experience for me and, as well and also influenced me. And so, uh, you know, I'm kind of looking at some of the things going on with tactical. Got a little bit of interest there because of where I live. So, uh, you know, I don't know if anything might develop there, but I do have somewhat of an interest there. But, it, you know, my schedule now with golfing and uh, working part-time two miles from my house is kind of hard to beat be pretty hard to to disrupt <laughs> that yeah to get back into strength coach hours or yeah even uh tactical strength coach hours i know they have it a little bit better you guys know what i'm talking about yeah uh you are very humble and you know you didn't mention too much but you definitely have had some accolades over the years you've been the nsca coach of the year uh you're actually leaving here to get up to West Virginia for a Lifetime Achievement Award. So, yeah, maybe talk a little bit more about, you know, the, the recognition that you have received because, you know, I know you're not someone to brag about it, so I'm going to pull it out of you a little. <laughs> um, well, of course, I'm from Pennsylvania, so the really one of the, the things that I treasure most in my life is that where we grew up, my father was my high school coach, and 
and he was really a, an exceptional athlete in baseball and football. And so he was chosen to be in the Washington Green um, um, Hall of Fame, Pennsylvania Sports Hall of Fame. And, uh, and that's a great, great uh, achievement for people where I come from. And so uh, in 2011, uh, I was being considered for that honor, and I was extremely um, humbled and honored to be chosen to be in the same Hall of Fame as my dad. And cool. so, uh, you know, I don't know how many other father-son combinations uh, there are for that particular Hall of Fame, but, uh, but uh, it, you know, I, it just doesn't get any better for that for me because I had, had so much respect for my dad over the years, him being my coach and so forth. And then um, when Chuck Stiggins called me one day and said, you know, we, something special is going to happen for you, and I had no idea what he was talking about. And, and just like I said before, I don't really rub shoulders with a lot of people. And um, so he called me and he said, um, you know, we, we've selected you for the USA Strength and Conditioning Coaches Hall of Fame. And that was 2016, I believe. And, he, you know, you're the only guy going in there and so forth. Yeah, so I went back and I looked at the, the guys that had been, I think I maybe was the 18th guy that went in. I don't think anybody's been selected since. So, uh, you know, of course, that was a tremendous honor for me as well. And then, you know, having been nominated a couple times for uh, the college strength coach here at the NSCA, I think one time we were 11 and 1, the other time when we were like 10 and 2. Um, finally getting in when ACU didn't have a very good yeah, year with football. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I guess what I could say from that, I was very proud to get in that year, even though ECU didn't have a, a great year in football that year. Um, uh, I was happy to be recognized in my profession. And what that kind of said to me was just what I was talking about when I went in and made that first agreement with that AD is, hey, you know, I want to be evaluated on what I do in my profession, right. you know, on what I do with the total department, not just football. So that's why it was equally uh, special for me. Yeah. Um, I had a, a challenge in my life at that point. Um, when I got back from Nashville uh, with, from the award ceremony, I found out that I had a melanoma. And so all those hours and time in the sun, and this is what I'm talking about with strength coaches, uh, <laughs> You know, strength coaches, take care of yourself. I mean, get get good sleep. When you're out in the sun all those years, uh, protect yourself. You know, I, I never, I hated wearing a hat. Yeah. So I had this spot on my forehead I had removed a couple times, and then they said, hey, you got a melanoma. We're going to have to take a large area of tissue out of your head, and uh, now we've got to take your lymph nodes out to make sure it didn't spread because we can't see where it, you know, oh, yeah. where it ended. Yeah. And that was really a life-changing experience because when I got the, the news that it did not spread yeah. because when it spreads it's stage three right uh, went ahead and got it taken off 45 stitches in my head and uh, believe me that'll change you yeah. so uh, I think that has changed me for the better yeah. you know uh, when they told me that uh, it did not spread I walked outside and uh, the sky looked bluer yeah I heard the birds chirping. <laughs> when I got home, my wife looked 20 years younger. Uh, you know, so uh, those types of things will change your life as well. Yeah, give you some more perspective. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, you know, you, 
you talked about you know getting with that ad and kind of telling him you want to be evaluated differently and how that we talked at you know the kansas thing with what andrea and zach got going on over there you know going into that system you know is that do you think that's kind of the way it's going or you know is there would you recommend that coaches go talk to their administrators about trying to be more uh you know being better evaluated or differently than just being on under the head coach of whatever sport they're with well i think strength coaches have paid the price to get paid what they're getting paid uh, when when you decide to become a collegiate strength coach and you're one of those guys across the country who's in a major program responsible for football. Uh, you have risked uh, your family, your career. You have no idea about what your future is going to hold. You'd like to have multi-year contracts, and hopefully you can get those. You, you, know, you want them to believe that whoever you've signed up with is going to continue to win. Um, so I think strength coaches have, I think the risk, you know, the reward goes with the risk. Yeah. So uh, do I believe that trainers should be paid more? Uh, yeah, I agree. I think trainers should be paid, paid more than they've been paid. Uh, but I don't think, you know, I don't agree with some of the, the criticisms, of course, that have been directed towards the strength and conditioning profession. And with the deaths that have occurred over the years, you know, when you're a strength coach at the Division One level and you know what um, the level of stress in relationship to producing a winning program, you're between a rock and a hard place all the time. Yeah. You don't want anybody to go down. But at the same time, if it's been determined that, oh, well, we're losing games because um, our strength coach does not have our team in good enough shape to sustain the fourth quarter. I mean, you know, you're, you're between a rock and a hard place there. Right. Butch Davis said to me, he said, we're never going to condition in season. You'll never be fired for the team not being in good enough shape, but we will not condition in season. The tempo of practice will basically take care of the conditioning that we need in season. Did I agree with that? Not particularly. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, that's just an example that over the years, the tempo of practice has basically taken the place of the strength coach deciding what we're going to do in season. And part of that is to make sure I'm sure that, you know, there's a safety factor involved as well. But at the same time, you don't want to get fired. Right. Right. So uh, I think strength coaches deserve the money they get. Uh, the hours are ridiculous. Uh, I know that I was tied up 38 weekends a year. Uh, I earned every penny of what I made over the years, I believe, along with the fact that being away from your family is a sacrifice, you know, that your spouse has to understand, your children have to understand. And uh, so uh, I think that, you know, I favor what's going on because I think it's this is going to protect the strength and conditioning profession and give us more longevity and stability. But at the same time, you know, I don't think that anybody should take a significant pay cut either. Right, right. You know, ra raise the, the money that you're paying trainers. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, I got no problem with that. Right. Trainers do a good job. Right. 
Um, but at the same time, you know, that's not to say that something should be taken away from, you know, from strength and conditioning professionals either. Yeah. When, and kind of going back to your, you know, the first book is called A Call to Serve. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you're talking about the servant leadership and right. the, yes, it's long hours and, and lots of time. But, you know, at the end of the day, the bigger picture is is being a, is a servant leadership and, and giving back to people, right? Mm -hmm. So No doubt. I mean, no doubt. You know, that's, you're not going to get a whole lot of thank yous. Um, over time, you'll get enough to feel like you're appreciated. I believe that if you put the time in. At the same time, you, you know you're gonna you're gonna train individuals and and be have to interact with individuals on a daily basis that uh, maybe don't appreciate it as much as far as the preparation goes. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the things that some people find attractive about going to the tactical side is you know. Guys want to work hard every day, and right. that's what they do. Right. You know, if you have, to, <laughs> if you have to do anything, you got to back them off some. Totally. So, uh, totally. But I think there's something to be said for kind of the movement over the years, uh, maybe over the last ten years or so, with restoration and recovery. Um, obviously, that's a big part of what we do. Um, I never have chosen to take part of my eight hours in foam roll for 20 minutes a day uh, out of my eight hours. You know, I was, hey, if you want to stay and do that, whatever you want to do before we start, that's fine with me. But as far as I'm concerned, you got to have movement for to warm up. So, yeah. you know, my, my, my warm up has always involved movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, <clears throat> you know, maybe a little difference of opinion there. Um, I've had a lot of young people on my staff over the last six years because, frankly, East Carolina didn't have a whole lot of money to spend. So, you know, it was easy for my assistants to go find a better job. But, you know, we didn't have the money to hire a lot of people with a lot of experience. So I ended up with a lot of millennials. And, uh, you know, millennials like that whiteboard. They like collaboration. And, uh, you know, they like to be involved in decision-making. And, uh, you know, they don't mind... Uh, jumping the chain of command from time to time if they're trying to find some information. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and I have given several uh, corporate, I guess you could say, talks and uh, on uh, generational theory. And so, you know, generational theory is very interesting to me, um, particularly studying the millennial because that's going to be 75% of the workforce in the not too distant future. Yeah. How did that make you have to adapt as a head coach to getting these younger people under you? Well, I think uh, when you don't have a lot of money in your program and, you know, you don't have a lot of money to spend with technology, that's going to be a challenge because young people, they like the technology. They like the feedback. They like to give feedback. They like to see the feedback. They like to see the data. Um, of course, an old guy like me likes to coach, and is um, that's what I'd rather do rather than study data. I, I like the data. I love the data with uh, Tendo units. I've used I used Tendo units over the last 10 or 12 years very extensively. I've probably done a lot of more things with wattage than most people. Most people have done a lot of things with uh, you know bar speed, but I like a lot of things with wattage, and so. Uh, 
I've done that. I, I love that feedback, and I love dynamic training uh, on your alternative day. Um, so, you know, I'm all about that. Uh, but as far as, you know, how much sleep did you get? Or, or uh, we want to basically want to assess readiness. Well, I'm probably more geared toward punishing somebody for not being ready because they didn't get enough sleep rather than backing off. <laughs> which might not make very much sense, but I mean, you know, uh, I'm just saying you know, they should, athletes should basically do what they're required to do and what you want them to do. And I think uh, they should have that commitment to your program, you know, rather than maybe having to say, well, you know, you know, you got to get a little bit more sleep and, you know, we're going to back off today and we're going to deload today because I don't think everybody's quite ready. Uh, you know, it's it's the individual's responsibility to be ready as far as I'm concerned. So uh, yeah. I never have done much with readiness, I guess. Yeah. Well, and what's the saying? You get what you tolerate. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, in, in the level of expectation, they probably know when they right. played for you what they were going to be ready to do and, and how they needed to be prepared. And if that meant they better sleep enough. Yeah. Because they know that no one's going to, you know, cut them slack for not. Um, well, we, you know, I, I had a really special time during the 10 years that I was at, at East Carolina the first time because I had a bunch of players that bought in big time into what we did. And they really kind of ran the program. I mean, we did some, some pretty crazy stuff with conditioning. And you could say, well, that's not conditioning for football. I mean, you know, we did a lot of stuff with 300s. We got down and we were only taking 30-second rests. Uh, you had to do certain things to cross over and be part of the team by the end of the summer. Uh, when you crossed over, I gave you a different color shirt and you became a coach. And so the last uh, couple weeks of the summer, I had maybe 70 coaches out there with gold shirts and maybe 12 guys left to make the conditioning. And those 70 guys were coaching them hard and making sure that if you want to be part of this fraternity, you got to cross over. So that was a really special time for me as a strength coach. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> um, and that too, you know, you know, you said buy-in. It's kind of a buzzword these days, right? You know, right. I mean, are there any like secrets to success with that, or is it just like, you know? showing showing up and you know being prepared as as a coach and you know obviously you care about them but you're going to coach them hard you know yeah. and you're going to you're going to get to know people and and respect them and they're going to respect you well i think with the time that you have with these guys and the ncaa you know restrictions and so forth and the way that this progression has uh moved over the years i just think there's a lot of parity you know in programs i mean I go talk to people about what they're doing. I don't see a whole lot of differences. Right. Uh, you know, so, okay, well, we're going to do something secret and mysterious where we're going to gain this edge on everybody else in the country. Right. I, I'm not too sure that exists these days. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, athletes have to buy into the program. They have to have a passion for everything involved with the program. They have to have a commitment to the head coach. Um, they have to have a commitment to what you're doing in the offseason, obviously. And, uh, you know, every time you see a coaching change, the whole buzz phrase is, we're going to change the culture. Right, right. Well, you know, 
I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if that's really what you have to do every time you come in. I don't think the culture in relationship to preparation from program to program is all that different from what I've seen. Right. Yeah. I think everybody is working hard. Everybody's coaching hard. You know, everybody is pretty educated as to what develops results. And, uh, you know, we, everybody lifts weights. Right. right. A little bit different from program to program. Yeah. What I see now is I see platforms and racks everywhere I go. Right. So, I mean, uh, how much different is it from program to program? Yeah, yeah. that's a great point. Are we doing free-form, closed-chain, multi-joint movements? Uh, somebody's going to snatch, somebody's going to hang clean. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, somebody's going to back squat, somebody's going to front squat. Yeah. Um, you know, I think everybody's doing bilateral, nice lateral type of uh, movements. Um, everybody has a speed program. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. You know how much different is it from program to program? Yeah, such a great point. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, this has been fantastic. Again, I want to tee up if you uh, haven't picked them up already or you haven't been familiar. Make sure you check out Strength Coach A Call to Serve, The Collegiate Battlefield, or The Golden Age of Strength and Conditioning, or all three of those books. Um, any other closing thoughts, final words, wisdom? Well, I mean, I just thank you and I thank the NSCA for everything that the, the organization, of course, Boyd, um, everything the organization has done for uh, the coaching profession over the years. Um, I'm really happy about where this thing has progressed for guys now making the money that they deserve to be making in relationship for their knowledge and their commitment. And, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> the risk reward that goes along with the profession. Uh, I think this is a good thing, what's going on with Kansas in relationship to the stability and the future stability of strength coaches. Um, people may have different opinions there, uh, but it's been a great ride for me. Um, it's gonna be a great ride for a lot of other people I look at guys like Kevin Yoxel and, and Mike Gentry and, you know, colleagues of mine through the profession that have had tremendous careers and uh, have accomplished a lot, not only where they've been, but also through the profession. Uh, Ken Manny, Bert Hill, you know, Bert, I, I hired Bert as my assistant a couple years ago because he was out of it for a little while. Now he's... He's back as a defensive line coach with the XFL, but just yeah. guys like that over the years that, uh, you know, have given so much to the profession and uh, have been extremely uh, professional and extremely successful. Yeah. No, so, you know, great. I recognize all those guys as well. <clears throat> cool. Well, we thank you so much for everything you've done and appreciate all the support of the organization and myself i truly appreciate our friendship over the years and the support you've given me so thanks for being on the show looking forward to sharing this with everybody and and a big thanks to our sponsor sorenx exercise equipment we appreciate their support and to all of you listening we appreciate your support uh, again if you like the podcast make sure that you subscribe wherever you download your podcast from write us a review and keep listening in look forward to talking with you all soon thanks yeah, I appreciate it, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get out here every year. Thank you.
And if you're new to this podcast and want to learn more about NSCA strength and conditioning certifications, you can get all the details at nsca.com slash certification. This was the NSCA's coaching podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.